If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 2. Um, and while you're turning there, uh, this, uh, during this season of time, I like to read uh, a, a history book. Uh, is, during you know, this July 4th celebration stuff, I like to read history books, especially uh, books uh, that are biographies of, of some of the heroes of the American Revolution leading up to the American Revolution. I love to read those type books and, and have read uh, uh, a biography on Patrick Henry and, and uh, read a biography on uh, 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 Alexander Hamilton and George Washington. Uh, this year, I didn't really pick a hero. I picked more of an anti-hero. Uh, yesterday, I read a book, uh, maybe a book and a half, on uh, uh, Benedict Arnold. Benedict Arnold. Um, and and it, it, there weren't a lot of cheers out in the crowd when we talk about Benedict Arnold. In fact, uh, when I was growing up, I, I remember my older brother, uh, I gave, I gave, uh, I gave uh, something to one of our cousins one time, and my brother, who was, uh, you know, 16 months older than I am, he called me a Benedict Arnold. I was too young to remember exactly what that was. Uh, to know exactly what that was, but as I look back, he insulted me. That was an insult. Um, if you're here and you don't know who Benedict Arnold is, I, I blame our education system. Yeah, you got to know. You got to know who Benedict Arnold was. I, I, uh, I, I, I hope you understand. Benedict Arnold was the guy in the American Revolution who tried to sell West Point to the British and uh, was paid 10,000 pounds of uh, British Sterling to, to uh, give West Point over. Fort West Point was a, a, a very important part of military strategic initiatives for both the British and the Americans. Uh, the, the colonies needed, it the colonies had established Fort West Point as kind of the, uh, the, the, uh, the stopgap uh, for everything that was going from uh, the, the Canadas down through to toward uh, New York and that Hudson Valley, <coughs> Hudson River Valley, was a very important part of strategy and travel. And so Fort West Point really was strategic in the American Revolution uh, for the American colonies to hold on to it. But the British also believed that if they could get West Point, if they could get Fort West Point, then they could win uh, the war. That they could overwhelm the colonies and their forces. Uh, so. Uh, it's amazing that uh, Benedict Arnold is, was uh, made the commander of Fort West Point by George Washington, and he plotted to sell West Point uh, to the British. Um, well, he didn't just start there. In, in other words, Benedict Arnold didn't begin as a traitor. He began as a patriot. What we don't realize is that, that uh, from the very outset of the American Revolution, Benedict Arnold signed up. And in New Haven, Connecticut, he uh, was one of the first to volunteer for the, for the militia. He, he was a leader uh, in the colonial army and, and, and made his... Uh, reputation as a as a battlefield general, not not a textbook general, but a battlefield commander. Uh, he he made a reputation as one who was courageous and brave, and 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 did his duty. He he was uh, instrumental in leading 
of the, the, the colonial army to, to, uh, uh, to defend uh, Lake Champlain. Now, he led a force along with uh, General Montgomery and, and Wooster. He led a force uh, through the, 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 uh, the Catskill Mountains up toward uh, the uh, uh, toward uh, the Canadas, and, and, and he was on this Canadian campaign, and their goal was to win Quebec, and if they could win Quebec, Quebec, they could get all the French speakers up in Canada as allies for the American colonies. They could turn the, turn the war quickly. And, and so uh, Benedict Arnold had, had already uh, proved himself in battle at, uh, when he and Ethan Allen and the Green Mountain Boys uh, uh, took over Fort Ticonderoga. And, and so uh, Benedict Arnold was a hero there, and then, and then he, he led this force uh, to Quebec and, and led, the, the, uh, led his portion in that, although the... the, the the campaign to the Canadas was a failure. Upon their retreat, uh, it was Benedict Arnold that led, to, uh, led the, the colonial army to uh, blockade uh, the, uh, the Lake Champlain so that uh, the British forces coming down from Canada couldn't go all the way down and start wreaking havoc. And, and, and military strategists say that because of Benedict Arnold and the armies uh, blockading or slowing down of the British forces coming down from Canada uh, at Lake Champlain. It at least gave the American Revolution a strong enough footing in 1775 leading to 1776 so that they could uh, uh, not fall to pieces uh, before they even began. Uh, Benedict Arnold was a hero. Uh, a hero who... Uh, became a cripple there in the siege in the Canadas uh, at Quebec, uh, was wounded in battle, and, and, and then became an uh, adjutant general in, in, uh, in Philadelphia, a city manager, so to speak, military city manager in Philadelphia, and then was appointed by George Washington to this preeminent post and important position at Fort West Point. Little did Washington know that the cracks in Benedict Arnold's character had become a canyon that would lead to cataclysmic consequence. Benedict Arnold betrayed his friend, George Washington. He betrayed his army for which he fought and which he led. And he betrayed the principles that the revolution upon which the revolution was built. He's not known as a patriot. He's known as a traitor, a turncoat. Well, what I want us to see today in 1 John chapter 2 is that we all have a Benedict Arnold in us as followers of Jesus. We don't like to think of it that way. We like to think of our own little sins as some small little minor thing but you know Benedict Arnold's sins began as a small little minor thing he didn't begin as a traitor he began as a patriot and because of his own selfishness and because of the, the his flaws and that he never fixed because he he perceived that there were wrongs done to him by 
others because he took personal certain decisions that were made by the military governmental authorities because he was bitter that people didn't respect him the way he thought that they should respect him he became a traitor and and some would say that that he had just cause to turn uh, the, the colonial army and the Congress didn't support him the way they should and that may be true but I got to tell you George Washington he didn't get all the support he needed from Congress or his peers either. I don't know if you've heard of the Conway Cabal, but that was a group of military leaders along with politicians during the middle of the American Revolution that led a campaign to oust George Washington from his post as commander-in-chief and set uh, uh, <clears throat> some other leader, I forgot, uh, uh, maybe Gates, Horace Gates, as, as the new leader commander-in-chief. And yet, even though there was this personal betrayal from other people, George Washington didn't turn traitor. He kept on fighting valiantly and courageously and leading uh, uh, faithfully. So what was the difference between Benedict Arnold and George Washington? Well, one decided that he would be faithful and the other decided that he wouldn't. And I think we all need to face those choices as followers of Christ. Today, we're going to look at how how we need to be faithful in following Jesus, not just say faithful things, but we need to be faithful. So let's unpack this uh, over the next few minutes in uh, 1 John chapter 2. Let's look at verses 1 through 6. Now, uh, John begins, he says, my little children. And just stop right there. Anytime you see the writer of Scripture say, my little children, he, he's saying, okay, y'all. I want y'all to I want y'all to pay attention here. I'm getting ready to, I'm getting ready to tell you some some good stuff. It may be hard to hear, but it's important. I want you to listen. I want you to listen closely because I care about you. My little children. He says, "My little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin." I love that. That's pretty that's a pretty good statement right there. I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. I love the, the, to hear and read anything that helps me not sin. As a follower of Jesus, man, I'm going to perk up when I hear that. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Well, my goodness, let me not sin. Let me read this. Let me pay attention to this. But then he adds this phrase. We're still in verse 1. He says, And if anyone sins... Now, the, the English doesn't bring it out, but in the Greek language, he says, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. And then that conditional, if anyone sins, that's a conditional clause in the Greek language. But the nature of that conditional clause, he's really saying, I write these things to you so that you may not sin, but when you do. He's acknowledging something that we know personally, even as followers of Christ, as faithful as we try to be. We don't want to sin, but we do. Don't we? I don't expect you to get excited about that. But we need to be honest about that. I sin. I sin far too regularly. How about you? So John writes, he says, I'm, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but when you do, <laughs> if anyone does sin, 
Listen to this. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the just. And he himself is the payment price for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, by this, we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says, if any of you or if I say that we abide in Jesus, we also ought to walk just as Jesus walked. So we're looking at how to follow Jesus and and how to follow Jesus faithfully. And what what John does is he says in verse 6, and we're going to kind of go backwards here in this passage, okay? Let's look at verse 6. He says, if anyone says that he abides in him, he also ought to walk the way Jesus walked. He says, if you're going to follow Jesus, then you need to follow him. You need to live the way he lived. And how did Jesus live? Well, that's kind of his point. His point is this, if we're going to be faithful in following Jesus, then we're going to obey God, because that's what Jesus did. If we're going to be faithful in following Jesus, then we're going to obey God. Now, here's the thing, there's going to be a distinction that John makes between obeying God and saying, we obey God. He's saying, it's not enough for us to have good words, whether we gather in church or whether we gather with our small groups or where we We talk a good game. He's saying, look, 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 it's not about your talk, it's about your walk. It's, it's not about what you say, it's about what you do. James said it a little bit differently. He said, he said you, have, you say you have faith, but you don't have words to back it up. You don't have faith. And John's saying it this way. He's saying, okay, if you and I are going to be faithful in following Christ, we're going to put down the insurrection of Benedict Arnold inside of us. And we are going to do what God says. We're going to obedient, be obedient to, to God. So what, what I want us to do, we also ought to walk the way Jesus walked. How did Jesus walk? He was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, Philippians 2. Guys, i got to tell you, Jesus was obedient to the point of death, and yet we stop our obedience at the point of our discomfort or our displeasure. We give ourselves excuses and reasons to be disobedient to God just because we don't like this or we don't like that or we don't feel good here or we don't feel good there. And I understand it. Please know, I get it. I've done it. I do it. But that doesn't excuse it. If I'm going to be faithful in following Jesus, it's not the costume I wear, it's the life that I live. You get it? It's not the costume I wear. It's the life I'm living, and that is a life of obedience to God. So let's look at the meat of this passage, verses 3 through 5. And and as we're looking at verses 3 through 5... John is trying to show us the importance of obedience. And, and, and essentially what he says, he says, one of the marks of being a faithful follower of Jesus is obedience. Uh, obedience is one of those marks that we have that, that demonstrate that we're faithful followers of Christ. Look at verse 3. He says, by this, that's in tuto in the Greek. It means here's, here's something I'm getting ready to tell you, and, and it's important, and, and you can pay attention to this. By this, by what? By my obedience. By this, 
you can know that you know God. By this, you can know that you know God. By what? By your obedience to him. Guys, I don't know. I I think that's an important statement. Here's how, uh, here's, here's one of the marks that show me that I am a follower of Jesus. My obedience to God. Again, not the costume I wear, but the life that I live. Not the words that I say, but the life that I live. Not the songs that I sing or the sermons that I preach, but the life that I live. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear those words, it really, really, it beats me down a little bit. Because I look at my own life, I don't know about you, I look at my own life and I begin to see those places where I don't, haven't obeyed him. I I hope this isn't shocking to anybody in this room. I hope it's not. But I sin. And I sin far too often. Far too regularly than I should. You might say, well, sin, I mean, is that the same thing that, yeah, I mean, sin is the opposite of obeying. You can't obey God and sin at the same time. That doesn't work. And that's part of the problem. That's what verse 4 is about. See, verse 4, what, what John says is this. Okay, you say that you abide in him, but you don't do what he says. Guess what? You're a liar. That's what John says. That's, that's the Bible. That's, that's Bible stuff, right? You say, you say you abide in him, but you're not doing what he says. You are a liar. The truth isn't in you. That's important for us. You see, what, what, he's, what he's calling us here, calling out in us, is not to allow our own ego to start talking us into sinfulness as if it's okay. That's what was happening in the church that John was writing to. There were people, and you read this in chapter 1 and, and over in chapter 3. But, but what John was doing, he's writing to a church, and there were people in the church who were saying, yeah, I know I'm behaving in a way that's inconsistent with what God says, but that's okay because I know him. He's given me special permission to do exactly what he said I shouldn't do. But, but we do the same thing. I, I, I get a little bit, um, it's not, I don't think it's funny, I don't, I really don't. It, it, it is a little humorous sometimes, but I, when I'm preaching, and, and I've preached a thousand plus sermons here at First Baptist Norfolk, I've been pastor here for over a decade, and, and I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody come up to me and say, you were preaching right at me. Well, they'll say it a different way. I need for you to stop beating me up. You're being mean to me. Now, I I don't mean to rock your world any, but I wasn't even thinking about you. You you didn't cross my mind. Well, there were some of you. I did put you in the margin. 
Just kidding. Truth is, as I'm working on these messages, especially ones like today, I'm not thinking about you. I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about me. I'm thinking about the cracks in my own character that sin has created. And how, left unchecked, those cracks in my character that sin has created become a canyon of cataclysmic consequences. I don't want to be a liar. I want to see my sin. I want to call it out. See, the proof of following Jesus is in the pudding of my obedience. Get that? The proof of me faithfully following Jesus is not in the fact that I showed up to church, whether I'm wearing a coat and a tie or shorts and sandals or whatever. It's not that I know the words of a song or even can quote scripture. Those aren't bad things. I'm just saying that's not the proof. The proof of faithfully following Jesus is in the pudding of being obedient to him. But the struggle for me, and and I'm guessing you as well, is that I do sin. I, I do disobey him. That that I do come up short. And I, I don't want to kind of downplay it as if it's no big deal. Every sin I commit is a, is, is a heinous, traitorous, Benedict Arnold crime against the holiness of God. I don't want you to downplay it either. I don't want you to act as if, well, my little sin, that's no big deal. No, it's Benedict Arnold big deal. I know you don't like it, I mean, you are Anakin Skywalker. You've turned into Darth Vader. You're Peter. Denying Jesus three times at a fire pit. You're Judas. Our disobedience isn't a small thing. It's a big thing. So how how can we get past it? How, How can we move beyond it? How can we be made whole in the midst of it? If I'm if I'm letting Benedict Arnold rise up in me or Judas rise up in me, if if I'm if I'm giving myself over to the dark side and not not walking, you know, uh in the light, what, what do I do? That's verses one and two. He says, come here, my little children, or something like that. He says, come here, my little children. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But when you do, you have an advocate before the throne of God, Jesus Christ, the just. Oh, here it is. Here it is. 
See, obedience to God is a mark of faithfully following Jesus. Second thing is dealing with our disobedience is a mark of faithfully following Jesus. It's not perfection. It's faithfulness. See, I'm not perfect. And if you didn't have it figured out yet, you're not either. And so John says, I want you to lean into this, and I want you to listen closely. He says, I don't want you to sin, but if you do, Jesus is your advocate. And just a few verses above verse 1 of chapter 2, if you look at 1 John 1, 9, that's the verse that we hear if you've been in church life for any period of time. 1 John 1, 9 If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John didn't write that just so he could hear his quill scratch across the parchment. John wrote that inspired by the Spirit of God so that he might show us how to deal with our sin. You and I have got to deal with our sin. Everybody look this way. You're not past it. You got to deal with it. You're not perfect. You got to deal with it. You want to experience the full flavor of God's love saturating and soaking your soul, like verse 5 talks about? Then you got to deal with your sin. You got to deal with the disobedience, and you deal with the disobedience by coming clean about it, confessing it. And when we confess our sin before a holy God, here's the good news. We have an advocate. His name is Jesus. He's the one who died on a cross for us, who poured out his blood so that we might be made whole, who, who, who built the bridge between sinners like you and me and a holy God so that we could walk across him as our bridge and enter into the friendship and the family of God. We have an advocate And Jesus stands there before the throne of God as we confess our sins. And he looks to us and he hears our confession. He looks to the Father and he says, hey, Dad, that's Eric. He's mine. And the Father says, clean. That's, man, I'm telling you. That's who you are if you're a follower of Jesus. But to get to the place where you feel the clean, you've got to do the confessing. The other part of being an advocate is not only Jesus standing there, but the very word advocate is a, is a term in the Greek language that means to swoop down, to pick up, and to help. It, it does mean to stand, it, it, it's a lawyer term, certainly, it, it, to be an advocate, but it's also a help term. It's, it's comfort, it's help, it's, it's nurture, it's nourish, it's Jesus coming down, he's wrapping us up in his arms, he says, I hear your sin being confessed, and I know the brokenness you feel, and I see the pain as it streaks 
by tears tracking a, 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 tracking a, a path across your cheeks. I see who you are. I hear your cry, and I'm right here. I'm holding you to myself. I'm holding you close. I'm, I'm carrying you. I'm comforting you. I'm strengthening you. Listen. Obedience. Yeah, that's what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus. But when we aren't faithful, we need to come clean about it. We need to confess our sin to a holy God. And Jesus, our advocate, pleads our case. And Jesus, our comforter, makes us whole. So today I invite you to join me in dealing with our sin. And over these next few moments, I'm inviting you to deal with your sin. To look to the Lord Jesus, your advocate. And stop covering, acting like your sin doesn't exist. Stop covering, acting like you have no sin. Stop playing games. You know what sin you've got. And if you don't, just ask Jesus. He'll begin to show you. But the pathway to faithfulness is dealing with disobedience. And when we deal with our disobedience radically, regularly, then we become more consistent in our obedience. So right now, would you bow your heads all around the room, close your eyes. Over the next few moments, I'm just going to ask you to begin by saying, Spirit of God, will you show me the sin in my life? Whether it's an attitude or a thought or an action, whether it's words that I've say, said or things that I've done or words that I should have said that I haven't, things that I should have done that I didn't do. Will you show me my sin? And as the Father shows you the sin of your soul, will you today Take the time to come clean. Here's, here's the beautiful thing about God. I just want you to get this. God is not standing with hammer in hand wanting to pound you. He is the one who wants to restore you. He's the one that wants to make you whole. He's the one that wants to give you the healing that you desperately desire. He's the one that wants to bring you and make you clean. He is, he's ready. He's waiting. He's begging. He wants it. But you've got to confess and come clean. So, Father, in these moments as we hear from you and as you pinpoint our sin, will you give us the courage to come clean? Today, the beautiful 
is available. You see it in us. When all we see is ugly about ourselves, you are here right now and and you see the beauty that your grace has already created. Will you give us a glimpse? As we open our brokenness to you, will you make us whole? As we unveil the dirt of our disobedience, will you make us clean? As your son speaks on our behalf and comes to minister the hope, the grace, and the mercy, and the healing that we need. Will you soak our soul in your love, perfected? It's in the name of Jesus we pray.